Welcome to MGO Podcast 14.23. Uh, I canceled last week's podcast because I was so upset. He walked out. I was like, I'm, walked out. I'm, I'm not, I can't do this without imputing uh, a lot of things that are imputable. And then they made one basket against Rutgers. So let's podcast. <laughs> So usually we talk about the most recent Michigan basketball game sort of in detail. Um, But since they made one basket in the first 19 minutes of the second half against Rutgers, we're going to skip that. Who scored the second field goal? I don't know. Who who was the second player to score a field goal in the second half of the Rutgers game? I turned the game off before that happened. Seth? I think it was Terrence Williams. Joey Baker. Joey Baker. got a driving layup of all things. I remember it was with a under two layup, minutes. And I to thought go. it was. I thought Terrence Williams got one of those to fall where he kind of just like wildly burrows his way in and like then stops on the right in front of the basket. And you're like, oh god, here we go. And then I thought one of those went in. He probably tried that at some point. He tried that, yeah. Or maybe Joey Baker actually accomplished one of those. Well, one uh, of sixteen. Are you disappointed, Brian? Let. <laughs> I am disappointed, but something that will be less disappointing than Michigan basketball are our sponsors. Thank you to Underground Printing for making this all possible. Check them out at ugpmichiganapparel.com or check out our selection of shirts on the mgoblogstore.com. Let's not forget our associate sponsors, Peak Wealth Management, Homeshare Lending, Ticket IQ, Ann Arbor Elder Law, Michigan Law Grant, Human Element, the Phil Klein Insurance Group, Venue by 4M, where we currently are, because now they have power. They do. We're back. Well done. DTE, it only took way too long. Anyway, so we're not going to go into great detail about the Rutgers game. We're not. Is that... I was a, being sarcastic. Disappointment? Sarcasm over here. What we are going to do is we are going to just sort of check in with uh, our feelings about the program as a whole because the uh, nutcase wing of the inter- internet is uh, ready to fire Juwan Howard. Yeah, which... Like there's there's like the four there's, guys. How nutcase is I, I've that? I've heard a lot more people say I, I'm so sick of the people who want to he, want Juwan Howard fired than I've heard people who actually want him fired. Well, yeah, there's like a larger reaction, right. To like a small. That's, but yeah. that's the state where the uh, the four people on the message board who everybody doesn't like are are like we got to fire Juwan Howard, and then the fifth guy who nobody likes because he's way too positive is like oh we can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> So are we caught in the middle between those two things? Well, I mean, it's obviously you, you're not going to get rid of a guy who's been to three straight sw- Sweet 16s. Okay. Like, the idea that would axe Juan Howard right now is crazy. I think it's two. Two? Yeah, because... Yeah, they, they, they didn't coded make... away his first oh, season. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Well... That would have been a Sweet 16 team, yeah. though. Well, I, you have a hard time convincing they were, me they were not going to Sweet 16. I, I don't know. They were eighth in the Big Ten. Whatever. That, that, <laughs> Whatever. That was like the senior Teskey Xavier Simpson. Year. And they finished eighth in the Big Ten. Well, yeah, but that Big Ten was really good, unlike this was, one. Was this one? No. Okay. Still the second uh, best conference in the country. Uh, yeah, according to Kempom, which is like, oh, yeah, geez. I mean, have you watched the SEC at all this year? It's even worse. Well, in any case, uh, we're going to sort of look at where we're at. And so this is not a good spot to be in. Michigan misses the tournament for the first time since the uh, – Karis injury. Karis and Walton injury year. 14-15, I believe. Yeah. 
And obviously everybody is disappointed. But to me, I just keep going back to the fact that they got absolutely nothing from the four spot all year. Like, unbelievable amount of nothing. As in they were starting Will Shutter at the end of the season. Right. Like, did you know that the sun is currently passing through something called the local bubble, which is an area of space, which is 10 times less dense in hydrogen molecules than normal space? Are we in the fourth segment already? No. But what I'm telling you is we had a local bubble Mm -hmm. at the four spot this year, Seth. There was just no hydrogen there or oxygen or baskets. Like, there's normal vacuum. And then there's the super vacuum that we currently find ourselves in, both as a solar system and a basketball program. Usually there are some particles flying around that you can bring right. in off the bench right. that are of some sort of value. And so I, I go back to this, is that because of that, and because of the fact that we had a patently unready true freshman point guard, adding anybody changes the season immensely. Mm-hmm. So And there, are, there were five different guys who could have been that. You could have had... Uh, Shannon, Houston, could have had Caleb Houston, Caleb Houston, could have had Musa uh, Diabate, Musa Diabate. You could have had Frankie Collins, could have had Tristan Llewellyn, mm-hmm. and you could have had Terrence Shannon. Shannon. And putting any one of those guys on this team pushes them over the red line, right? And they're mm-hmm. in the tournament. And maybe, to, uh, well, I mean, maybe. I not. mean, they had to win one of those games, and they one game they out of the nine. They had that to win about close. two of them, but there's a reason that they lost those two of them, and I mean. Part of it isn't just that they didn't have another guy. Yeah, but... They had seven-point leads in these games. It's not like they didn't have enough points or they didn't put themselves well, in a good enough situation. It, it, it is. Because if they had a nine-point lead, then they win those games. <laughs> Maybe. If they have, if they or they have, blow that, too. No, but if they have anything that makes them one bucket better over the course of the season, they're a protected seed. I just... And, like, if you... If, in every game. Right. And if you replace Terrence Shannon... If you replace Will Shetter with Terrence Shannon... Out of all Big Ten first team player, like, but part of that is a mentality and it's a, a, a maturity that it seemed that this team also didn't really have. The, I mean, we'll get to that. Okay, but also this team was very close to being what you would hope a Michigan basketball team is. Like they finished what thirty eighth, thirty ninth in Ken Palm, which is not where you want to be. But you're just looking at two absolutely massive roster holes, and you know it's just wild that Michigan is like, okay, we got three guards. Mm-hmm. We need more than three guards for a season. But they had a weird roster last year, too, didn't I know, they? But, but we need more than three guards for a season. And they go and get a fourth guard, and Frankie Collins is like, this is too much competition for me. I'm out of here. I mean, basketball players do weird things, but you have to know which basketball players you have and what I weird guess. things they're capable of doing. But, like, but like, I mean, I don't know how that went down, but you had to, like, expect that. Juwan's going to sit down with him and be like, yeah, we got three guards on this roster. That's not enough guards for a roster. You're still a starting point guard no matter who we bring in. Well, they should have gotten Aikens instead of Frankie in the first place. Well, like that wasn't an option because he yeah. didn't go to state. Like, yeah. I mean, Aikens, yeah, you're right. Well, it's one of the weird off-season storylines is going to be, does Frankie Collins stay at Arizona State? <laughs> because he switched high schools every year Yeah, and then – left Michigan after one year well, and now is at Arizona State. Now I think he's out of free transfers, so he's got to stay unless he wants to. And so I, I think there is something to the idea that maybe Juwan messed up because he thought Collins was going to be on this roster and you can't rely on that or there was some sort of man management issue. But to me, the decision to transfer is just so weird that it kind of feels like that's a Frankie Collins and his family issue and not a Juwan issue. Oh, 
I think that's true too. I, I think that part of it is how did he sort of not see that red flag of all the things in high school? Yeah, I mean, a lot of kids transfer a lot, though. Like, I mean, we were just talking about Jaden Akins. Yeah. Jaden Akins was at, at four different high schools, mm-hmm. and he mm. transferred away from one high school midseason because he was on Amani Bates' team. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that was a very different kind of high school. Yeah, but I mean, but like, probably going to transfer out of Michigan State, too, the way they Did he also him. go to Bishop Sycamore? <laughs> but, like, I mean, the decision to go to an obvious basketball factory, I mean, that that's something that I think you're going to see a lot of kids kind of have to deal with. Like when you're recruiting, it's like, is Frankie Collins that unusual? He's a little unusual. I mean, four out of four is a little unusual, but like Josh Christopher, same thing. Like everybody's moving everywhere. Also a bit of a flake. Actually, wait a minute. That's not fair to Josh Christopher. Josh Christopher actually stayed at his high school. Huh. Never mind. That was, that was the complete opposite. Still a bit of a flake. <laughs> I, I, the point about the players doesn't matter. It's going to be a little bit of luck too. Also players grow up. So, you know, I, we uh, went to the Pistons thing last night, and then Lyra spoke, and uh, one of the things he said is that, like, I wish I could go back. They asked him, like, what do you wish you knew before you went to the NBA? He's like, I felt, felt I was pretty prepared for the NBA. I was not prepared for college. I got to college, and I thought I was just going to be a superstar, and it took me a while to realize where I actually am and what I have, and it wasn't my team's fault, it was my fault. And that, I think that is very common, that kids grow up and you don't necessarily know which one's going to bolt your program before he has the maturity to realize it's you, not your team. Yeah, and for the most part, Beeline brought in guys where at least you got the takeoff year before they left. And the only guy who I think left early before having his takeoff year was DJ Wilson. Mm. Like, yeah. Wilson was a guy who flashed. He was starting to pop that yeah, year. He yeah, he was starting to pop, but he didn't have, like, the straight-up, I'm a... That was also his third year in college, too. Because, remember, he redshirted a year, didn't yeah. play. He kind of played, but didn't really another year. And right. then the third year, you're like, whoa, this is the guy we're hoping we got. But he wasn't fully functional. I, but I still say pool, though. We were starting Eli over pool most of that season. Like, but that was that was for different reasons. Yeah, I mean, pool, I guess... Could, there was another year of pool that would have could, been amazing. You, yeah, you could you could say that, but pool was actually you know a pretty important player on that team and a obvious plus player in a mm-hmm. way that Michigan's current slate of one and dones you can't say that about. Yeah, like <clears throat> like Iggy was the guy you'd want back from that team. Yeah, and Iggy was Canadian, so he spent an extra year in high school. Sure. So he was like like they should have brought him in the year pr- prior because they could have used him. But in any case, so. It's really hard to construct a roster these days. And so Michigan loses a couple of guys who were mediocre college players to the NBA draft. And you're like, oh, well, what are we going to do about that? And then he locks on to probably the best transfer in the Big Ten this year and just can't get him in. And I don't put that on Jawan at all. No. I mean, that's not – I mean, yeah. he Our- recruited that guy. He got that guy committed. And then Michigan and Texas Tech conspired to screw him out. Of it. I mean, Harbaugh's had similar situations. It so. just happened to Harbaugh. They have the, the, the transfer from ASU. I, I think he thought everything was fine. The picture Michigan thought everything was fine. And now he's oh, not. Oh, the tackle. Yeah, he's not participating. Ladarius Henderson is not participating in spring right now. He's he, a grad transfer. He, he's a grad transfer who needs a couple more like classes to graduate or one class <laughs> to graduate. And every other school in the country would be like, okay, fine. We'll take care of it. And Michigan is like, nope, you have to take some ASU classes online while you're here. Or Whatever they're doing, it's that's Michigan and only Michigan. Like nobody else. Northwestern doesn't have this problem. Stanford doesn't have this problem. 
yeah, I guess when you've got those problems, other teams like that don't. But for whatever reason, you know, admissions shot this basketball team in the head. Yeah. Because you put Terrence Shannon on this team and it's a protected seat, flat out. And then you have other issues that aren't related to just the roster construction. But I do think that probably 70-80% of the frustration we feel is just because we had five different shots at another player that didn't come through. And then Terrence Williams just bricks and you got nothing. Well, the weird thing about Terrence Williams, and, and maybe this goes into the other things that you would talk about that are more off the court issues, but like people were clamoring for him at the end of last year. I, I was literally clamoring for him in the Tennessee game. Yeah. Because Caleb Houston was doing absolutely nothing. And it was just like, what is what does this guy bring to your team? And then Terrence, You're talking about Houston. Because that was what yeah, I Houston. was always worried about Williams, is like we'd seen him in short spurts and we'd sh- seen him do a couple of things. And he hit some big shots. But, I mean, that's the thing that we always go back to when we're talking about basketball is, you know, okay, it's great that you can do that, but what's your usage? Are you doing it in, like, 6% usage, or are you actually doing it at a, at a higher level? And I think that's... Well, this team just needed some guy to, like, do some glue guy stuff, right? And in that Tennessee mm-hmm. game, Williams comes off the bench and gets two putbacks. Yeah. Like, he was crucial. Which you'd never got out of Caleb Houston. No, I mean, yeah. that was never going to happen for Caleb Houston. Yeah. And so what happened is kind of my point. I mean, his shooting went to hell. Like last year, he did he was, get putbacks? Did he get hustle plays? Because I don't really no, remember him didn't. being like a, a glue guy. What you're talking about? Well, but he he flashed it. Like so, there were a couple Early. of no. I mean, last year, like there were just a couple of games where he put up like 15, 16 points and was active offensively. He was doing good high low stuff with Hunter, and you're like, okay. This guy, I think, is going to be a solid starter next year, and then he just absolutely was not. I mean, he was hitting 38%, close to 40% last year, and this year, I, I think it probably came down to normal. Like, when he shoots, he looks like a dad at the YMCA, not like a pure shooter. Okay, but he's he got down to, like, 26% from three, and people were just ignoring him on the perimeter. Yeah. And that, more than anything else, was how this offense got murdered. And if you go back and you look at the stats, like, offense was the bigger problem than the defense by the end of the year. Like, they started huh. off in like like 120th in Kempom defense halfway through the year, and they got that up to like 50th. So defensively, they made real progress. Even Jet Howard made real progress. Mm-hmm. And Well, when Howard was really, really motivated and tried, you could see what he could do because there are, are plays throughout the season where his athleticism kept him in one-on-ones, and he'd yeah. stop a guy. He also had that awesome rebound. I don't remember if he's in the Illinois or Indiana game, but he puts his butt into a guy, moves him back, goes up and wins a rebound. You're like, whoa. Like, that's what you sort of expect from him. But you don't see those plays very often. So it's not that he's not capable. It's that he doesn't do them for whatever reason. He plays loser basketball. And and there's a little bit of that's happened with Terrence Williams as well. The the Rutgers play where he just doesn't box out the shooter. Mm Mm-hmm. Which one? The, the, the free, the free throw. throw. It was a joke. It was a joke. There <laughs> seemed like there were too many. Continue. Sorry, we're a little but message boardy right now. He's just, you know, he's he's looking at Doug McDaniel if that was his, like if that was the point guard's job to box out the shooter. It's not the point guard's job to box out the shooter. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the, right now the dude plays loser basketball. And if I was an NBA GM, I would not take him. I would want him to go back to college and be like, prove to me that you make plays that don't lose games. Now, that's not going to happen because there is a bunch of organizations in the NBA staffed by guys who don't care about loser basketball. And so someone's going to take him in the first round. He's going to go in the first round. He's just going to be gone. But I do feel like there's a maturity process going on there. And next year, if he came back, he wouldn't play like that. Not nearly as much. Maybe. We will see. 
we saw a huge improvement over the course of this season. Not enough so that the Rutgers play didn't happen. <laughs> well. But just in terms of like how often that happened, like the defense got a lot better late in the season, and Jet Howard played most of those games. So I, I don't think you can say that he didn't improve. I do think you can say that right now he's a net negative everywhere except the shot making. Shot making, yeah. When, when he's hot. And when he doesn't make shots, like, you know, Rutgers, they're just rimming out on him, then then you'd have a net negative player. On right, the but the, the reality of the situation is he is likely to go in the NBA draft. And so Michigan, for the second straight year, has undergone a lot of growing pains with the freshman and will not reap any rewards from it. And I mean, that sounds last year they tried to patch it with Shannon, which is a great idea, and it didn't mm -hmm. work out because of things outside the basketball program's control. And so they'll have to go back to the board and try to do that again this year, and who knows? Well, that's the big off-season questions, and Alex and I have discussed this too many times, too late at too many nights, but it's what does the team look like next year? Because there are many different options of what this team could be, and some of them you look at and you're saying, okay, I can find some pieces here, and with a little bit of, like you said, growth and maturity and player development – this could be a, an interesting team, especially if they can add through the portal, getting a player here or there. But there are also versions of this team, given other factors in play, that, I mean, we may not even know who half the roster is right now. Well, I, I mean, mean if, only... if Hunter leaves and if Kobe decides that he's going to roll his dice and Jed is gone, and I mean, then you uh -huh. have, I mean, you're bringing back Baker. No, no. I think he's out. Baker's is gone. Llewellyn coming back? Yes. Okay, he will be back. They but then, senior day him, but so I mean, is, is anyone else going to transfer? I mean, like, this happens all the time. And that, that's sort of my point is that, like, it feels like if you get all the right outcomes, you could ha have the makings of a decent skeleton for a team. But if you don't, I'm not sure where you're, what you're left with. I'm more worried about, like, what's our, what's our long-term prognosis now? Because you got, you know— we're, are we going to be on this treadmill again next year? Or if we bring in a bunch of right. new guys next year, right? Well, there's no one and dones next year. Yeah. So we, well, we aside we, from a random transfer that does seem to pop up. So I mean, what do you do? Do you scrap what you got now? Clear out? Say bye, Hunter. Say bye, what? Kobe. Say, like, no, not, that's not, not to push the guys out. But I'm saying, like, if those guys are leaving, you're going to build around Terrace and Doug now, right? Like that's your team next year. That's what you're. That's what you have back. Yeah. So. What do you put around? Can they recruit right now? Because they don't even know that was, they couldn't recruit anybody because no one knows who's going to be on the team. No one knows what their positions. Well, are. they're the guys they have coming in are Papa Conte, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, he's not going to do anything in year one. He'll George, be, George Washington be a defensive the third, presence. right? As I mean, a guard, he'll be a defensive presence who would foul out in ten minutes a game if he got any more time. That's what's going to happen. Mm. Well, he's in like three to four big rotation, right? Like he gets his five to. Eight minutes, whatever he can, they can right. fit and him so, in. But he's not going to be a major factor. And I don't think Hunter's going anywhere. Well, because it, it seems like he, his the, NBA draft stock is down. Like he was vaguely draftable last year. He's not draftable now. Correct. Where's he going to go? Well, all right. So that is that is one of the questions for me is that why was he, did he look at times? I'm not going to slam the guy, but at times like he was unmotivated. And if that is some sort of like, I'm just tired of this or I'm fed up with something on the, in this team or this program or something like that. And, and then he just decides, look, I'm moving on to whatever the next thing in my life is. Or do I want to play another basketball season at Michigan, which is also a very distinct possibility. I mean, obviously we're not in the locker room or in the program, so we don't know what those feelings are. Well, but I, mean, I think both look, of those options wait, are look, viable. Look at what happened at the end of the season. You're right. Like, 
we had a lot of criticism of Dickinson and the season, and then he he pretty much lights it on fire for the home pretty stretch. much since that mm. Wisconsin game. And you know, I think that there's a version of Hunter Dickinson that is just mad at how the season went, who comes back and is the near All-American that he was as a freshman. And I, I think that that's the most likely outcome. Because, I think that is entirely plausible. Because like, Dickinson is going to get a bunch of NIL if he comes back next year. I don't think he's – no one's going to tell him that he's going to get drafted. And is he going to go play in Europe or in the G League instead of getting a bunch of NIL at Michigan, being the big man on campus? It just doesn't seem to, to make a whole lot of sense from any perspective. So I think I'm – Putting my marker down is Hunter Dickinson is going to be back next year. Okay, and he actually could be back for two more years in theory. Yeah, yeah. that's right. He's got a, he's got the COVID year. I mean, <laughs> he's a sophomore. Maybe <laughs> if he wants to be the most annoying guy in the history of the Big Ten, which I think is something he that, does that, want. Well, is he? I mean, <laughs> we could do a top five people. Big Ten basketball players who are more, who have been more annoying than Hunter Dickinson, and I don't know that very many would top him. No, but. So I think he'll be back because, I mean, he's got potential to have some real legacy here. And I know that this is not the way he wanted to go out, right? He's wearing a ski mask to Wisconsin in a game we lose. Mm -hmm. Like, he wants to be the villain who wins basketball games. Yeah. And I I, I project that Hunter Dickinson's going to be back. So then you have a question of what are you going to do with Terrace Reed? Because Terrace Reed was a freshman. He was very bad offensively this year. He booted the ball out of bounds a bunch. Looks like a next-level defensive player. He's switchable. He's a rim protector. He's advanced mentally just in terms of where he needs to be. And for large sections of this year, it felt like the best lineup Michigan had was both Terrace and Hunter Dickinson on the floor together. And I don't know if that looks great over the course of an entire season, but you can definitely get him 10 minutes a game as Hunter's backup. And you can get him probably another 10 with the two playing next to each other. Because one of the things that happened this season is that Dickinson – as a three-point shooter, like he was 42%. He was arguably their best three-point shooter. Well, he needed time to get his feet set, and he needed – like he's not going to shoot on the move. He he needed a particular setups. So his, his volume was low. He's what we wanted Joey Baker to be, <laughs> right? No. I mean, no. no, no. no. <laughs> Joey Baker is supposed to put it up right away. Well, yes. Hunter Baker's, is like – but, jo- but Joey Baker is a catch-and-shoot guy. But, and that's what you want Dickinson to be. Baker's also able to like shoot on the move. Yeah, and all that I, stuff. I I understand that. But if if Joey Baker sat in a spot and you hit him with kickouts from Dickinson doubles mm-hmm. and he knocked down shots, that would be an an acceptable to good season for Joey Baker. And if Hunter is that on offense, yeah. now you want more from him. But if he can do that particular thing, <laughs> that would be a really good thing. Well, and so Reed has flashes. He's got a face up game. He's big enough to be a post guy. Like, I think a lot hinges on, like, how much his offensive game progresses. Because you can float Hunter in the corner Yeah. at this point. And if someone has to double down on Reed and you kick it around to him, that's fine. That's a great outcome. Mm-hmm. But that part about having to double down on Reed, can Reed get there? Yeah. And I think he's close. He's got some moves. He's got that under-the-basket thing that he's great at. He's a pretty good finisher. When yeah, he he's a face-up guy. And then... Yeah. His free throw shoot has improved immensely. So, yeah, he started off, I think, shooting 25%, and then he finished the season shooting 60. So, and that's about half of his attempts on each mm-hmm. bin. So you're seeing that liability go away. And his his stroke is not such that you would expect him to 
But he's be, that's for fine for a big. Yes, no. I'm, his, yeah. I'm saying that his stroke is not a. I make 25 percent of these stroke. No, right. It's not no Joe Eastern. It's not Shaq. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but no. You just need. I mean, if he's if he's hitting 60 percent, he's 1.2 points per play when you when you foul him, yeah. which is a good play. Yeah, it's good enough. So yeah. if you're correct and that Hunter is back, I think one of the big summer things then for the program is how do we play Hunter and Reed together. Because we need to do that for 20, 15 to 20 minutes at least a mm-hmm. night because you're, they'll sub for each other and, you know, they'll take breaks. But then there's going to be a large chunk of the game and probably they're both going to be on the floor for crunch time. Unless you find four better play or, you know, right. multiple better players th- than Terrace Reed, which is probably not the case. Not going to happen. Probably. Going into next year, unless you get some wonderkins out of the transfer portal or something. So you're going to have to find offenses that fit sort of a, a two big system. Maybe you run high low stuff. Maybe you spread things. Maybe if Reed's post game progresses, you do float Hunter out and in certain times. But but Hunter's yeah, also going to yeah. his post game is going to probably be one of the central things that the team does because it is so effective. Yeah, and so then you have Reed on the backside, and if you double off Reed, I mean, yeah, that's a possibility, but also if Hunter just puts it up, that weak side rebound is wide open. Kobe assist. Mm -hmm. So I I think that they can probably make that work, and it just requires Reed to make a freshman to sophomore leap that a lot of guys make because you can see him. He's not far away. He's almost there. So I think that's going to be good. And then, you know, the other main question is, like, do you get either Jet Howard or Kobe Buffkin back? And you seem to think you do not get Jet Howard back. I don't think so. I don't think you get Kobe back either. So that's the big key then. Because if you get Kobe back, then you're starting to piece together a real team. And the thing that this team, in my opinion, lacked as much as anything else was an actual, like, leader on the team and on the floor. I mean... Who was the guy that calmed everybody down? Who was, remember how Simpson was? I mean, it was his team. He walked on the floor. Those players knew this is our leader. This is where we're going. He's going to have the game situations in mind, get us where we need to be, motivate us, or slap us in the face when we need it, whatever it is. This team didn't really have that. They had Eli the year before. They had Livers the year before that. This team was seemingly leaderless on the court, and Buffkin, to me, seems like a guy at times in the second half of the year who was starting to show that. He, you could see him start to take over games and to kind of get into sort of into his teammates at times. The problem is, is that some of the games down the stretch, he also made some really bad turnovers. Just the last. And kind of faded. Well, I mean, yeah. The yeah. Rutgers game, he was horrible. And... And that, that that's a, a problem. That broke that, but that broke a string of like eight great performances. Okay, so, I mean, people are going to have off games, and I just hope that the NBA was like, oh, that's too many turnovers for us. But, but you could see his maturity from year one to year two, and if yeah. he takes that same jump and comes into the season knowing, okay, this has to be my team, and I need to grow up into the leading this team. Dickinson is the perfect sort of sidekick guy. He's going to be the villain, the lightning rod that people are going to draw the attention and all that. Well, it's just, it's and just then hard. So if you have sort of it's the hard soul. for a center. To, to have that kind of role because he doesn't have the ball in his hands to initiate a possession, right? Like you got to have a guy who gets you in your offense and creates that first advantage. And then after the first advantage, you can you can work from there. And Michigan did not have that this year because they were starting a true freshman point guard, which is always bad. 
that yeah. I mean, the main reason that these super teams from Kentucky and UNC and Duke are bad is because, like, <laughs> they have freshman point guards. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if they're five stars headed to the lottery. They suck balls. That's, and, and there are teams I've, I've been doing. And their offenses look yeah. like garbage. I've been putting and together my this year. like uh, my my big tournament bracket create thing, right? Like the big Excel thing, and that means going through all the teams and how do these guys work, and you know what's what win is important for them. And I come across teams multiple times that have like a fourth or fifth year five ten guy who is just and they're they're winning games like crazy, and that guy is like a thirty eight percent assist rating. Yeah, and uh, you know those that's what Doug's gonna be. He's not going to be a great finisher ever. No. He's not going to – he'll develop a move or something. But he's you – know, I've watched games with Matt D a little bit, and he's like – he can see all these things happening right way before Tug can. He's like, oh, Kobe's me. Kobe. Ah. Like there are there, – the cracks are there. The openings are there. And when you're a point guard who's played a little bit, you know where those – you can anticipate where they're going to be based off of the actions. Doug is still looking around and trying to figure out, you know – what he doesn't know what's going on on the court yet. No, I and mean he posted that Twitter thread after the Michigan State game where they're blitzing every screen and Michigan is just slipping them. Mm-hmm. And at no point does that turn into a bucket because it's just like I can't, I can't make this play. And part of that, I was just thinking about Darius Morris mm-hmm. and his pterodactyl, pterodactyl arms. I mean, so like he had such an advantage. I mean, he's the tallest Michigan point guard maybe ever. Maybe and. Or at least in the modern, in the mo- yeah, relative, I mean, like, relatively but, modern. But, but five had a pretty large. But even as well. wow, okay, Darius Morris as a freshman, that didn't really work out. Like just in terms of having a high assist rate as a second year player, his assist rate I think doubled, came close to doubling. Yes, and then he became the guy who was you know feeding Jordan Morgan. Their pick, their pick and roll game was right, and so Jordan Morgan shoots seventy percent for a season, and that's Jordan Morgan. Yeah. Like that's a six foot eight guy who doesn't have any post game, and what we didn't see a whole lot of this year was Hunter Dickinson getting some easy buckets. We saw a little bit of it late in the year. We saw Kobe do it With a little Kobe, bit. Kobe, yeah. right? That's the difference. But we we didn't, and even Kobe, like in that Rutgers game, he was trying to set up his teammates, and instead he got seven turnovers. So having a mature college point guard, a mature college playmaker, something Michigan does not have. Something that I think will get a lot better next year. Um, I think now is a good time to take a break. We're going to come back and continue this conversation. Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com. It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, trying to collect sizes and payments for a family reunion, 
or, you know, ordering a whole bunch of shirts with your Kickstarter. Underground Printing is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with their easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing people down to pay, wasting time trying to sort out the order. They'll set it up. You can just sit back and relax. They'll even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit them at any of their convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirt.com. Hey, it's Nick Hopwood, founder and president at Peak Wealth Management. We have a lot in common. We both went to Michigan. We're both huge fans, but I'm concerned about how much time you're spending on Michigan football recruiting. This could be time spent with me pouring over your cash flow and Roth conversion strategy. How are these Roth conversions going to get done with you spending all your time and energy on MGO Blog looking at the next five-star recruits? Hey, all kidding aside, if you're addicted to MGO Blog and you want to outsource some of your financial planning to an expert, consider us, peakwm.com slash blog. At Peak, we work with people in a variety of situations. Some of our clients are young professionals looking to optimize their savings and investments. For young people, time is the key. Some of our clients are super affluent trying to figure out when they can retire. Some are high net worth retirees looking for a second opinion on how their money's working for them. Get your second opinion at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. If you want to see where our post-game podcast happens, or if you need a spot to land in Ann Arbor, check out 4M, Prentice Partners' beautiful brand-new flagship property at 830 Henry Street in Lower Burns Park and across the bridge from the Big House. Their 11 spacious six-bedroom, six-bath suites feature state-of-the-art digital capabilities and are laid out for comfortable, efficient collaboration. You can also rent a 4M unit for shorter stays, say if you want to come to town for a football weekend. I want to add myself that they're also taking over Lucky's. We're really excited about their plans for that space. So if you're by the stadium, swing by 830 Henry or visit Prentice4M.com. I can't believe I'm doing this. If you find yourself in the penalty box, you want a Michigan man arguing your case, call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul tonight. It's 248 and 924 9458. Or visit his old website at michiganlawgrad.com. This was a triumph. I'm making a note here. Huge success. It's hard to overstate my satisfaction. Aperture science. Do what we must because we can. For the good of all of us, except the ones who are dead. But there's no sense crying over every mistake. Keep on trying until you run out of cake And the science gets done And you make a neat gun For the people who are still alive I'm not even angry I'm being so sincere right now Even though you broke my heart And threw every piece into a fire. Hey, uh, we mentioned this already, but Venue has power. Lots of power. So much power they can make you a delicious chicken sandwich or a delicious pizza or some delicious pasta or some delicious birria tacos, which is like a beef stew. And they put the, the tortillas and the beef stew and they crisp it up. It's good. They're amazing. Uh, you should eat them. 
because it's a good thing to do. Eat at venue. Go for it. All right, so we were talking about Michigan's lack of easy buckets for Hunter Dickinson, lack of pick-and-roll game. And, I mean, it was, I guess, nice that Michigan was able to do some stuff in terms of just like, oh, I need to ISO this, I need to pull up. But that's a reason that their offense is one of the worst offenses they've had since the second year of John Beeline, which is a nice thing about a basketball program. Mm-hmm. And even in, in this, the long term. even in this year, they had like a top-10 turnover rate with a freshman point guard. So there's some stuff that's going well. Because well. they didn't really move the ball. That's true. I mean, their their <laughs> assist rate was, was not good. But even even so. like Yeah, that it's always good when you don't turn the ball over. So there's hope, I think. But I do think you just need Kobe back. Yes. Because if you don't have Kobe back, your number two guard is... Llewellyn. Llewellyn. Someone who isn't on the team right now. Or a transfer. Yeah. I think that's most... I mean, remember coming into the year, we'd never seen... Llewellyn play, and you're just like, well, he's a point guard. Yeah, because there was no one, <laughs> and that's kind of where we're at. He was a combo at. guard. He was he he's more of a two than he is a one anyway. I mean, you could maybe hope that Isaiah Barnes turns into something. I, uh, I mean, I know. I suppose. I mean, like I I do feel like that was at the Purdue game. We uh-huh. could hope Will Cheddar turns into was something. sort of like the coach. That's no, that's a very different deal. Because <laughs> Isaiah Barnes can at least run and jump and shoot. Uh, all at the same time. Maybe. But, I mean, it's not completely unheard of for guys to kind of emerge later in their careers. Maybe you'll get something out of Hyatt next year. Mm-hmm. That's true. We, you know, he came in with a lot of hype, and, I mean, he was never going to play his first year. I, I would a little bit be surprised if he's a high-impact player his second year, but I think that there's there's something there. I mean, he's, Is he more of a two or a three? He's more of a four. He's six foot eight, six foot nine. Well, and that's something Michigan also needs in yeah. addition to the rest. Well, it, it might not be if if you're playing Terrace Reed at the four. And that's... Yeah, but he's more of a four or a three, depending on how bulked up he gets. And, like, right now he's... Yo-yo. Not, yeah, yo-yo. Yeah. I'm kind of pe- penciling him in for Jet, because I figure Jet's gone, and you need a three, and they've been using a long three anyway, and, like, that's... So if you're talking about... You're talking... Doug, wings. Kobe, yo-yo, Reed, Hunter. Yeah, probably a transfer in <laughs> somewhere, yes. or at least off the bench. You need another wing, at least. Yeah, yeah. Another well, guard. They, they need another guard and another wing. I mean, you, well, you'll get George Washington the third. Yeah. So you'll have Doug Llewellyn and GW three. Is that what we're gonna call him? Uh, if he's awesome, maybe we call him Prez. <laughs> Let's just call him Prez. All right. <clears throat> isn't that Prez. what isn't that what Jamal Adams is for for the Seahawks? It's his Twitter, Prez. Something like that. Jamal Adams was never president. Jamar Adams. Jamar Adams. What I missed him. There, we, we, no, we had two the Adams one, the presidents. One. Neither one of them were Jamar. No, no, no the, not not <laughs> the guy who bo- played at they Michigan. They were both John. Hey, not uh, the guy who played at Michigan. <laughs> you, guy you, played. you remember the uh, 1700s when a lot of guys named Jamal were president? <laughs> <laughs> they had a Millard. There's a Millard who was president. <laughs> <laughs> we had one Millard and no Jamars. You remember, guys are funny. Remember, Were you ever a stand-up comedian, Brian? Jalen Quincy Adams. <laughs> anyway. I don't know. Dave people, looks very you, upset with us. Very visual podcast. Watch the NFL. I know what I'm talking <clears throat> All right. About. Sorry, bud. No. You open yourself up. <laughs> anyway, so you'll have GW3, because he hasn't earned his nickname yet, yeah. with Doug and Llewellyn, and you probably still need another... I mean, if you get Kobe back, you're fine. If you get Kobe back, you're fine. You're right. That's, I mean, he's, him and Hunter, you bring them back, and then you can maybe see the makings of 
a potential. I don't. I don't well, want to yeah, go as far as you do to say that that they're like a protected seed or that they're going to be that good because I. I think I'm that, not saying that next year that that's definitely the case. I think that there were issues on this team that stemmed off the court to an extent, and those are things that on sports teams need to be worked out. That was one of the biggest things that Harbaugh did after like the 19 and 20 seasons when everybody in town was clamming for him to be fired is I think he cleaned out the culture a little bit and refit some things. And you see, I mean, all the stuff that people talked about in the last two years is, you know, how much they like each other, why they like being in Ann Arbor, why they want to come back. Why, I mean, what is Chris Jenkins? Why would I leave? I, I love it in Ann Arbor. That kind of stuff is like, it changes how teams are made and, look at the result. Obviously, they had good players, and they played well, and they developed, but they liked each other, and they liked the program, and I mean, like, all the interviews after the Big Ten Championship game this year, just about how great everyone on the team was, and was pumping each other up. Like, that's, that's, did not feel like this basketball team. I don't want to... I don't, I'm just saying that as someone... I don't, I don't, I don't want to dump on a particular player too much, because, but I do, and I do think he got better, but doesn't that trace directly back to Jet Howard? Well, like, you're playing on a team with this guy, uh-huh. and he's just failing to box out anybody. And he's your coach's kid, and like he's and leaving. that's that's a weird dynamic. Now, I'm not saying it's a bad dynamic per se, but it that is an an interesting dynamic when the coach has two kids on the team and then a bunch of other players, and it's just got to be a very difficult emotional situation to handle from a lot of different angles. Well, that's the other thing we haven't really talked about, Jace at all. Yeah, like. I mean, it could have been the freeze up before he could have used too. Like Jace, wow. Jace Howard hit something like forty five percent of his very limited threes this year. He's he looks like he's a good defender, and if he if all he does out there is soak up twelve percent usage shooting all threes and play well defensively and rebound, I mean, I think that's a guy you can play because. If you get Kobe back, you got Doug, you got Kobe, you got Dickinson. You're not really searching for usage. Yeah. You're searching for a three and D guy. I think he's maybe an eight or nine player on the on rotation. When, but in, in my opinion, when Cheddar was taking threes, how badly did you, did you wish that was Jace Howard out there? Not really at all. I mean, when Cheddar was trying to get an offensive rebound, like that, that looked like an eighth grader. Ch- Cheddar may not be a very good player yet, or maybe ever. I'm not personally sold much on Jace as being a high contributor I mean, he's on, not, on this what, what you want him to be is you just want him to be a guy who stands in the corner on offense and then gives you glue guy stuff. I I understand and what you're you, saying. You need someone for that, and I think he's a candidate. That's that's kind of the, the story, though, is that I we will, didn't have an eighth guy. We didn't have a fourth guy, but we didn't have an eighth guy either. I, that's part of what a team needs. I will cede to you that he is a candidate. Okay. I mean, there's probably a reason he wasn't even playing much when they were playing Cheddar. I think that's fair, too. Yeah. But I mean, I'm trying to be diplomatic. Like Cheddar, I just can't believe that there was any sort so the, of effort so the thing with him, that would warrant his playing time. The, the thing with him that, I've, that we always heard, right, was that he was a shooter in high school. Yeah, and he was. So it seems like, to me, if that's who he was, he clearly was not the most athletic guy on the team. Clearly he's a, a, a hardworking guy. If, he, if his asset is shooting, let's put him in situations to shoot. Well, he got in a situation to shoot, and he didn't shoot very well. Well, he was under the basket more. He also wouldn't shoot sometimes. Like well, he, that's that's he turned fair. down threes. But he wasn't like mer- a guy mer- who doesn't. They used to get GR three, who is a phenomenal athlete, looks in the corner or on the wing, or I mean Are that we was Beeline. Will Cheddar to GR three? No, no, I'm but, saying, because... but I'm saying that when you have a, a four that, that is was, a good shooter, but that part was, of what he does but is that was an offense part. that worked. Well, 
this offense That's, didn't work. You're right, and and I and, and I probably shouldn't to, have brought that up because I was conflating coaches. Like, well, no, That's also fair. just like that, that team's got Trey Burke on it. Of course, you're getting open corner threes. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm just saying that if Cheddar's thing is shooting, I would rather not have him trying to get offensive rebounds as I would being the guy on on a kickout. Well, if out. someone else is shooting, you sh- I mean, but the thing about he tried to get an offensive rebound and he get in good position, and then it would be like, oh, it's just not happening. Yeah, well. Our six eight guy is like six four, and he's got lead shoes. He's also probably not the guy you want playing the four. No, and there was that like Hunter got a double, and he flipped it over to Cheddar, and it just goes right through his hands. I'm just like, Ugh. yeah. In fairness, that happened to Reed a few times too. But yeah, yes. I know, but and those are just continuing problems that we've talked about on this team. Is that it's unfortunately not one, two, three, or four things. There's a lot of little things that I don't know that they're. They could be fixable. They could be just limita- personal limitations. It could need practice, could need maturity, could need development. It could, you know, all those different things. I, it, it's tough for me to see if, like, the complete future of all of that. I, it's because everybody's young and inexperienced. I mean, that's the other thing. Did you see, like, the, the thing that they posted uh, in the first half of the Rutgers game where they said, I think, like, points scored in the Big Ten tournament by players from Michigan, like Dickinson had 42 or something like that, and everyone else had zero. And it's like such a stat that was taken out of context because it's like, uh, how many other players on this team have played in the Big Ten tournament? Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe Kobe got in for two minutes last year, right, yeah. and nobody else did. And that's part of it is like you just have a bunch of dudes that haven't played a lot. They were 310th in D1 experience. That might even be lower than Michigan hockey. No, it's not. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's not 103. There aren't 310 teams in, in hockey, but well, oh, Seth and the jokes. Uh, so, so they're 310th in, in D1 experience, and then also they were by the end of the year they were probably 350th in, in luck. And we can talk about whether luck is clutch or luck is just luck. But I think when you're that far down, you would expect a regression to the mean, just like you would expect a team that was, you know recovering 80% of their fumbles yeah. to slide back. Is it, do we want to talk about luck now? Yeah, sure. I mean, I I don't think that the last two minutes of a basketball game are necessarily different. And I think that there's always a team like Michigan every year who just gets in a bunch of close games and loses them. And then next year, that doesn't happen again. There's also there's luck. There's Ken Palm luck. There, there it, There's a lot of things that you could use to define, like, you know, is it luck that Llewellyn gets hurt this year or that, like, the Shannon thing happens? Well, like, the, those the, are... The Ken Palm luck is yeah. just like on court stuff. Like, given how many close games you played, how many of those did you actually win, and how many did you not win? Right. And Michigan was close to dead last. And I, I was going to say, I so I play with my spreadsheets a little bit, and I looked at whether luck is translatable to the, to the year after. The only thing I actually found that correlates is for some reason luck is way higher and lower in lower divisions. I don't know what's going on. Like, but like, you mean like Division Two and Three? No, 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 no. But like, or the lower conferences, like the Patriot League. Yeah, and like the SWAC. So like, when you look at like which teams are first and last, they're always like super low uh, leagues. And then like the Big Ten and SEC and Big Twelve are kind of like always in the middle. So, but if you just look at like where you are in the major conferences, I don't know what's going on in the lower leagues. I can't begin to guess. Sure. But uh, when you look at those, there's just no correlation year to year. So that supports a regression of the mean, that luck is just luck. That, like, his luck stat is working correctly if there is no correlation from year to year. Right, if it's just a big ball. Right. When you said that you don't think that the last two minutes of a basketball game are different, I would disagree with you. Well, I, I mean, 
Sure, there's some different things that go on, and you have to practice for it. But I just don't. I think from a mentality standpoint, they're very different. Ah, I mean, I suppose there. I've played in a number of games. It and at lower levels. That's is you know. Not, I'm not talking about at a collegiate level where you can see in people's eyes if they want to be in the box when there's two outs in the bottom of the seventh. You can see if they want the ball to come to them in the field or if they're shaking in their boots. You can see if in the huddle if a guy is like checked in is like, throw me the ball, I'm going to catch it. I mean, there's just a mentality there that either you're really nervous or you have a deer in the headlights look or you're like, you get me the ball and we're winning this game. It, there's just, and I'm telling you, like when you play sports, those situations come up but and I people feel, respond differently. I feel, the, I feel the deficiencies that Michigan had late in those games were the same deficiencies they had the rest of the season. So that's partially true. You're running a play and you have a guy open and the point guard doesn't see it. And that had something that happened in minute 10 and not and and minute 38. Okay. Sort of what I'm talking about is Joey Baker gets the open look against Illinois right. and just airballs it. Yeah. Will Cheddar steps to the line in that, I don't remember which road game it was, maybe it was Wisconsin, in a, like it's a potential tie game or down two, and he m- misses both free throws. Now, he was a decent free throw shooter other times that he played. Those two he missed. I, I, I know that's small sample size, and I get all of that. I'm just saying that there are people that when you step up in those situations, especially when you're younger, especially when you're not used to it, that it's, it takes time. When I started doing the podcast, you used to tell me off air, hey, you're just kind of nervous. Just relax. Just talk to me like you're having a conversation. It takes reps and it takes maturity when you do things. And I think that that's part of a situation in there that Michigan is just not. All right. Yeah. So Seth's going to post. He's going to run a correlation between Ken Palm's luck stat and his D1 experience stat. Yeah. And we're going to see. Yeah. That's testable. Yeah. We're going to test it. I mean, that, that, I think that there's something there, but you're also – I mean, players on any given day, Monday they can be a completely different player than Tuesday. You know, yeah. When you're an athlete, summoning it and, like, the way you feel, and they cascade on each other. And I think one of the problems that this team had this year, especially early in the season, is, like, you go out and you, you have a clunker against EMU, and then you have to hope that EMU is good. And you almost lose to Ohio. And it's like that kind of stuff dragged on the team. And I think it was harder – to get up and harder to feel confident and harder to do those things when Hunter is like just getting doubled like crazy and no one else is coming through and then you lose Llewellyn and like I think that there was a dump part of the season when people just felt bad about things. I think those situations you're talking about are a problem. I don't think that is the exact same thing as the end game issues. Well, the I end think that I think I, those are two separate issues. But I I'm not the first person to like sort stats on a spreadsheet and see if this really happens. Right, and there are. Um, I, I I can't throw it out on a podcast and tell you exactly there's which like, article. But there's, there's like reams of research on this stuff that yeah. implies that. <clears throat> but doesn't that take the human element out of? No, I'm not. I'm just talking. I'm about? just saying that like if it was if it was something that was a real prominent factor, then you'd be able to back it up with something. I now, mean, kind of. I just don't think that what I'm talking about is comes from a statistical standpoint. I mean, I, I think one of those ones actually said that Michael Jordan missed as many clutch shots as he made. So it's like yeah, you, you remember things as a sports fan or as an athlete. Like sometimes I think you can be feeling it and sometimes you feed the guy who's feeling it. And sometimes I, I, there probably is something to the experience deal because I bet you there's wilder swings that like if you've done it a gazillion times, I bet Hunter Dickinson has a lot less swing 
in like yes. when his shots go in when you, versus Doug. When you watch Hunter play, he does not look like a guy that is not ready for the moment. He may miss a shot. He may not whatever. But he he does not – when I watch him, it does not seem like a guy okay, who well is he, scared to get the ball. He biffed that shot at the end of regulation. He, he missed it. Against mm-hmm. Illinois. Illinois. Yep. He missed the shot. So, I'm, not, I'm not saying that, that guys like that make sh- those shots because there's still the randomness involved in any sort of an event in sports. I'm just saying that I've seen people walk into a batter's box that were shaking in their boots in the seventh inning and did not have the same at bat I've seen them have in the third and the fifth and the whatever inning because there's just a mentality standpoint sometimes. And, okay. and those situations well, why, get bigger. Well, why doesn't that show up? Anywhere? Why can't you? Why can't you find it? Why can't you prove it? Because by the time you get into stats, you've played so much basketball. Most of that's ironed out. I think that in high school you'd probably see a All lot right, more. So of if it. most of it's ironed out, then mm-hmm. we're still back to the thing. Because sometimes the lights come on, and you and you okay. look up and you notice them, and there's not all. It's okay. not always definable. But I don't think everything in the world uh, you can prove statistically. No, but what I'm saying is that if. If everybody who's looked at this says that there's not a whole lot of year-to-year correlation about this, mm-hmm. then you'd have to come up with something special about this Michigan team that would prevent them from getting a lot better next year in this particular stat. They certainly could next year because I think that what you did is you would there would be people that would potentially mature, especially at their age. We're not okay. talking about... But what my, my argument here is that they will be much better in this stat next year. And it, if there's a mechanism where it's like, okay, so they're really young, so they're bad at clutch stuff then next year they won't be as young because they should get hopefully <laughs> yeah unless they're starting george washington the third exactly they should, they yeah should, but they should get everybody back and they're probably going to patch a roster hole with some mm-hmm. upper class grad transfer from somewhere. if they're able to do that i would completely agree with you okay that was that was the end of that discussion all right i just was my point in this was that that looked like a glaring hole on this team all right well, I think it's one that gets patched next year either way, whether it's ca- whether it's causal or whether it's a-causal. A-causal. Which means it's not caused by anything. Anyway, let's take a break, talk some hockey. Thank you. Let's do that hockey. At Peak Wealth, we believe we can help you retire with confidence. It's Nick Hopwood, certified financial planner from Peak Wealth Management in Plymouth. I graduated from Michigan in 2001 with an econ degree and founded Peak Wealth Management in 2014. Now we have over $240 million of assets under management. As a freshman in 97, winning the national championship in football and hockey didn't get any better than that. Both my wife and I lived in Bursley that year, and it's crazy because we never actually met while living in the same dorm. Probably because she had a car and I had to ride the bus. But we named our dog Bursley anyway, and he's on the payroll here at Peak Wealth Management. At Peak, we're fee-based. We're your fiduciary, which means everything we recommend is always in your best interest. We partner with leading institutional money managers, focus on low fees, and make sure every client has a financial plan covering retirement, college, tax, estate, insurance, and cash flow. Simply put, we are Peak Wealth Management, your comprehensive financial coach. Book your second opinion at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. In southeastern Michigan, the yearly cost for a nursing home averages approximately 100000 It doesn't have to, though. Reed McCarthy founded Ann Arbor Elder Law after handling a tricky situation for his own family. Years of experience later, his boutique firm works with clients across southeast Michigan dealing with Medicaid planning, long-term care, and tax, disability, and family law, not to mention family dynamics. If you have a family member who may need that level of care, or if you're ready to start your own estate plan, Reed can give you a plan for the future. Visit AnnArborElderLaw.com or call 734 
734-945-9693. That's 734-945-9693. It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, or trying to collect sizes and payment for a family reunion, UGP is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with our easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing down people to pay, or wasting time trying to sort out the order. We'll set it up and you can just sit back and relax. We can even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit us at any of our convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirts.com. This is Matt Demrest, the owner of HomeShare Lending. We're a local mortgage company here to help you purchase with confidence and refinance with ease. People don't get mortgages very often, so it can be confusing. We'll break down every single line item so that it all makes sense. And at the end of the day, if we're not giving you the best deal, we'll tell you to go with the other company. We're here to offer our simple mortgage guidance. This is Seth Fisher from Emgo Blog. Over the years, we've sent dozens of readers to use HomeShare Lending, and every review that's come back has been raving. I myself used them to refinance after doing our original loan through our bank. I was amazed how much smoother the process was for our company. Loan. Brian used them, and you should use them too. Finding out whether it makes sense or not to refinance or getting pre-approved to buy a new home is easy. Head over to homesurelending.com, that's H-O-M-E-S-U-R-E, lending.com, slash mgoblog to find out more. Or call us at 734-531-9950. That's 734-531-9950. I've got two of my favorite people here with me, kind of an annual tradition, Cooper and Colby. Cooper, how old are you? 11. Colby, how about you? Nine. Can I get a Go Blue? Go Blue! NMLS number 1161358, equal housing lender. All the scientists are running around looking for the monkey, but he can't be found because he's down by the pond playing hockey with the kids. And all the mothers are running around looking for their children, but they can't be found because they're down by the pond playing hockey with the monkey. And it's one time. So on WTK on Thursday, I told Sam Webb that I thought Michigan would get cranked by Ohio State. Man, you should have brought, <laughs> so, brought your hockey guy on. I, uh, but the previous four games they'd played against Ohio State sort of led you to believe that they would get cranked. So, that go ahead. did not happen in this game. Not only did Michigan outscore uh, Ohio State 5-3 to three with the goalies in the nets, but they controlled possession they controlled shots they they didn't those that game didn't look anything like the previous four games they played against Ohio State so here's a point for the Nerado fans out there that the narrative in that first game the blowout game the first game back right the when they worst get, game Michigan hockey has ever played <laughs> that is certainly possible they got wrecked in their own end they couldn't get out of their own end they turned the puck over they couldn't get a breakout Penn, Penn State Ohio State Penn State did it to them to the next week Ohio State just turned them over and kept getting shots. They weren't all grade A chances, but they were getting chances on the net. Portillo's making saves at times, blah, blah, blah. But the, it was like 39-9 to 9 halfway through the game in, ter- in shot totals, which was absurd. you just never seen anything like that. The next game, it's 
Michigan adjusts a little bit, wins the game. They go still tilted to Ohio State, though. But they right, but it it was not that harsh. On as it, a Friday. it was better. It was right. not. Then they go down to Columbus and they mostly hold their own on that Thursday game for the first couple of periods. They do get some finishes, don't give up too much, and then the third period, the bottom falls out, and they barely are able to exit their zone. Ohio State cranks up the pressure, ties it, they go to overtime, lose in a shootout. And then I thought that for the first period to two-ish, to basically until that break that they had to take in the outdoor game, Michigan was probably the better team, especially 5-on-5. I couldn't tell anything from that outdoor. The the conditions were so bad, that wasn't even hockey. They were not great, but Michigan wasn't getting run off the ice. They had two or three really good chances early on in the game that if they put any of those away, the game is slightly different. They didn't. Didn't take advantage of their chances. Ohio State gets one later, and then it sort of unravels. The ice goes to hell, and it's bad. dump trucked. But you can see the progression here of worst game ever played by the program to not quite as bad, not quite as bad, not quite as bad, to last night, where Ohio State tried to come in. Luke Hughes made a guy miss 20 seconds into the game, mm-hmm. gets up the ice, creates a three-on-two, passed a Fantilli, passed a Brinley, tucks in, and just buries one in the corner. And you're like, well, that's a nice little omen. That's the issue. It wasn't some fluky play. It was Ohio State does what they do to Michigan. Michigan said, fine, we're going to beat you at what you do, did. And all of a sudden, they're already 1-0, not even half a minute into the game. And, I mean, there was a play, I think, in the second period where Ohio State was applying heavy, heavy pressure to Edwards and Seamus Casey. Mm-hmm. And they're, they've got two guys behind the net, and Edwards is able to ride a guy like, get him on his back, control the puck, get it over to Casey, then Casey gets heavy pressure, has to go back to Edwards, and Edwards is able to turn and, and then move it out of the zone in a controlled fashion. And I had to watch this game on TV, various Michigan ticket hijinks. <laughs> so, but the color commentator is like, yeah, uh, you know, I think Michigan really has an advantage in controlled entries, which was <laughs> not the case yeah. in the other Ohio State games. Yep, and that is the difference in this game from the previous ones, that the situation I described early continued. That was not a fluke. That was what Michigan did basically for the two periods. They also defended their own zone pretty well. Ohio State didn't create a ton of chances, especially five on five, in Michigan's end. And so, because what Ohio State relies on is that forecheck to turn you over and to get chances. They're not always grade A, but they're chances. They did get some against Michigan in the previous four games. But those, for the most part, were not there for the first two periods. The third period is a completely different animal. Everybody went ham, and it was just like no one's playing defense. Mm -hmm. Each team had like 17 shots and like 10 from the house. It was just Ohio State was emptying Exactly, and so it was going to go both ways, and it did. But for the, when the game mattered in the first two periods, Michigan was the definitively better team, and they played better hockey, and they finished chances. Okay. So this is a great narrative. It's like, okay, this is clear improvement over these five games against a team that's going to the tourney. And then we go back to the previous weekend, where they basically got outplayed by Wisconsin in two straight games, and then manages to, to butt it out right at the end. And yeah, that's a, kinda. that's a thing that sort of seems to define this team is that they have the ability to go out there against a very good team and dominate play on the ice. And then every once in a while they play just horrendous hockey. They play down to their opponents from time to time. I mean, that's not, I don't think that's it. Cause they, we talked about the Ohio state game. You don't play down to Ohio state. They're a good team. There is that Penn state game 
on the Friday without Portillo, which may have been... You mean back in the fall? Back in the fall, which is almost as bad as that Ohio State game. That was weird. That was also just le- about leading up into their like virus situation. Right. So I don't so know. I but don't they, know but they came back the next night and they won that game. In overtime. But yes. But so they came in on Friday and they just played terribly. And then on Saturday they were a lot better. So it kind of feels like going into the NCAA tournament that they're just not consistent enough to really expect that they're going to be able to win four games. Well, welcome to all of college hockey, Brian. I mean, Minnesota is probably the best team in the country. It's probably not even very arguable. And their chance of winning the tournament is probably, what, like a quarter, maybe 30%. Yeah. I mean, that's just the way that it goes. You hope that everything clicks for you on the days that you play the games. It's it's a little like the baseball playoffs, right? Like you have 162 games, you know who the best teams are, and then you roll your dice and you hope you get baseball, the hits and you get the no, strikeouts. No, it would be like if the baseball playoffs were single elimination. <laughs> well, let, me, let me throw another uh, wrench into this, though. Sure. You talked about those first Ohio State series. I think only the one... Um, outdoors is when they had Casey and Nazar and like a lot of the guys that are on the team Nazar, that, we, right. that we just talked about weren't even playing in the fall or weren't playing the first time we had the, the Ohio State series at Yost. And that, that's been a major difference. Now, the Wisconsin series, they did have all those guys, and they were playing like butt. And I, I, that was not – that was playing down to the opponent. That was just like I think they didn't take Wisconsin that seriously. And Well, I think also Wisconsin had a little bit to do with it. Well, Wisconsin played probably two of the better games they've they, probably played since I remember the, fall. the previous Wisconsin series where I'm just like, this team plays absolutely no defense. They yeah. don't. Yeah. <laughs> and that was not the case. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if they were playing for their season or whatever, but a version of Wisconsin that actually looks competently coached, um, I mean, they got talent. They have so, 10 drafted skaters. Yeah. And they, they have – I, th- I believe it's a guy that's going to be drafted in the first round Scramble, next year. Yeah. And then yeah. a guy who just oh, – a first-round pick that just signed um, with Columbus, I think, Kuhleman, so the defenseman. So it's – they've had talent all year. That is what has been puzzling about Wisconsin is not that they don't have players. They just are playing terribly. Right. Granado gets axed. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, very <laughs> understandable reasons. Yeah. And, you know, so – I, I do. I think that you know. I don't know how much to read into that Wisconsin series. I think that that was a different sort of circumstance. You want to play <coughs> those teams that aren't as good when possible, and I think that there. That's sort of the thing that I'm kind of talking about a little bit when we talked about the basketball teams. There's a mentality where you're like, okay, well, we're better than this team. You know, the only time they beaten us, we got absolutely hosed in that game, and. You know, the other three times we beat them, we're going to beat them two more times. We're moving on, and that doesn't always work. And the other team is, like you said, playing for your coach. They're that, playing for their season. I, they weren't playing for their. They're playing for their season. Well, the only whatever. thing they could do was win the Big Ten tournament. I saw those guys because I was at the end that Wisconsin. I was in the Wisconsin end, and then I saw them leaving. And like, you know, Brock Caulfield was his. That was his last game, and he was sitting there as their captain. And like everyone comes to give him a hug, and then I go to leave. And you know how like they don't have a visitors' locker room. They just have a tarp mm, back there. Yeah, and so. I, we're leaving, and I got my daughter right there, and you just hear them audibly, like, throw a stick and break a stick down. And you see, like, the little piece of the stick kind of flying up. You're like, Wisconsin wanted that. Yeah. They wanted that one really bad. That was that was the last thing they had to play for. Their season's over at the end of that. So I, I maybe just give them credit for that. But, like, maybe give Michigan, you know, they were, this is a single elimination game. They got wrecked by Ohio State earlier in the year. They got all their guys, and... You know, like I said, this is a healthy team now where they weren't almost the entire season. Well, Trust got still out. Yeah. yeah. And that's, 
you know, there's you're going to have at least there's one some guy whispers I've heard about Truscott that maybe he'll be back for the tournament. You know, it's still a couple weeks out. I don't know that that's will happen. Nope, nobody's missing but, <clears throat> nobody at this time of the year. That's also very true. But like oh, Michigan Minnesota's was missing, missing five or six guys. But guys are always hurt. I mean, yeah. this is this is sports. having having one guy out is not that bad. Having three or top four out, which was the case for a fair chunk of the second half of the season, yeah. mm-hmm. was, was a problem. My point in the narrative that I was telling earlier was like, that seems like plus one for the coaching staff. Like, to be able to take that game and turn it in that we saw when we walked out of Yost that Friday night as like, well, this could be really, really bad <laughs> and turn it into what we saw last night is... Yeah, it's players and it's it's growth and maturity and players developing, but it's also like coaching staff saying, "Okay, we just got our butts handed to us. That shouldn't happen. How do we fix this?" And they did. Do you know what else they fixed last night? I don't think they took a major, did they? Okay, so <laughs> this is Matt Demrest, the owner of Homeshare Lending. We're a local mortgage company here to help you purchase with confidence and refinance with ease. People don't get mortgages very often, so it can be confusing. We'll break down every single line item so that it all makes sense. And at the end of the day, if we're not giving you the best deal, we'll tell you to go with the other company. We're here to offer our simple mortgage guidance. This is Seth Fisher from Emgo Blog. Over the years, we've sent dozens of readers to use Homeshare Lending, and every review that's come back has been raving. I myself used them to refinance after doing our original loan through our bank. I was amazed how much smoother the process was for our complicated loan. Brian used them, you should use them too. Finding out whether it makes sense or not to refinance or getting pre-approved to buy a new home is easy. Head over to homesurelending.com, that's H-O-M-E-S-U-R-E, lending.com, slash blog to find out more. Or call us at 734-531-9950. That's 734-531-9950. I've got two of my favorite people here with me, kind of an annual tradition, Cooper and Colby. Cooper, how old are you? 11. Colby, how about you? 9. Can I get a Go Blue? Go Blue! NMLS number 1161358, equal housing lender. Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com. want to see where our post-game podcast happens, or if you need a spot to land in Ann Arbor, check out 4M, Prentice Partners' beautiful brand new flagship property at 830 Henry Street in Lower Burns Park and across the bridge from the big house. Their 11 spacious six-bedroom, six-bath suites feature state-of-the-art digital capabilities and are laid out for comfortable, efficient collaboration. You can also rent a 4M unit for shorter stays, say if you want to come to town for a football weekend. I want to add myself that they're also taking over Lucky's. We're really excited about their plans for that space. So if you're by the stadium, swing by 830 Henry or visit Prentice4M.com. In southeastern Michigan, the yearly cost for a nursing home averages approximately 100000 It doesn't have to, though. Reed McCarthy founded Ann Arbor Elder Law after handling a tricky situation for his own family. Years of experience later, his boutique firm works with clients across southeast Michigan dealing with Medicaid planning, long-term care, and tax, disability, and family law, not to mention family dynamics. If you have a family member who may need that level of care, or if you're ready to start your own estate plan, Reed can give you a plan for the future. Visit AnnArborElderLaw.com or call 734-945-9693. That's 734-945-9693. 
smoky day in a darkened scullery Down by the river in a factory town Where bad things happen and the walls are dripping And the ghosts are flitting through the cold hard ground A pot and kettle on the hob were settled down Hissing their patter so bilious crew And off he matter a clout and clatter And battle and wits in a hideous duel The winds are rattling, belching steam Life ain't nothing but a fevered dream You're a lowly villain, you're a terrible liar But we're both here cooking on the same old fire Guts are bubbling, belching steam Life ain't nothing but uh, The referee that we um, are not fans of I don't even know his name He has a certain look to him um, <laughs> you, you talking was, about Blondie? Yeah, I don't know, maybe I am Um was not refing the game last night, and you had, I believe, three penalties on each team and no majors. I mean, they reviewed the Duke hit, and, you know, Alex had a really good point, because I was chatting with a couple guys in the box, and everybody's kind of like, I don't think it hits his head and all this stuff, and Alex goes, the way that we've seen those calls made this year, that should be a major. Yeah, his shoulder hit his if, head, and then Duke, I don't know if Duke embellished, or maybe he got hit with a stick or something. If you go by the letter of the law in the Big Ten... It shouldn't be a major. So he's saying they've missed called those a number of times. And if you're going by a missed call like that, Michigan should get a major. But if you're going to correctly call that hit, it's two minutes. And so I think that in the end, they got the call right, which is what you want to see. Now, you know, Michigan maybe gotten boned on other ones and then, you know, they, they didn't get this call. But you, I would take in the future going forward, just get the calls. Uh, yeah, that shouldn't right. be a major. There's right. no way. That's, I, I would agree. Yeah. And I like even... Even if the way they've called it this year is insane and has been unfair to Michigan, that's still not a major. Correct. And yeah. should never be a Well, yes. The like, Wisconsin, or Wisconsin, Ohio State got a goal taken off the board for a not for an uncalled offside. They won a challenge. They won a, they challenge. Won a challenge. And then Ohio State lost a challenge right afterwards, which was a dumb challenge to take. So I think that one. So I but think like, my opinion on that, that the Ohio State challenge was that they were going to call a timeout, and so if you're going to use your timeout, you might as well challenge it, and maybe you get lucky. You just had a, I mean... Why would they call a timeout in the first period? Yeah. After giving up three goals in And why would minutes? you lose your challenge when you're challenging... Oh, Ohio State. Ohio yeah. State oh, okay. did. Yeah, why would you yeah. waste your challenge? Because, like, that's... So that now that's the different game theory in college hockey, where you have a free shot at challenging a potential major some point during the game. So maybe in that situation. But... Or Ohio State was reaching critical mass because within 11 minutes they were down three nothing, and their goaltender, who you know was great goaltender his freshman year, dropped off a little bit this year, needed to play better, and the team needed to play better around him, and they're on the verge of just getting absolutely run out of Yost, and so you have to do something. And when you take your time out, mm-hmm. if you ask for a review, you get more time because mm-hmm. those take more than a minute. And it kind of, you know, the crowd gets kind of antsy and right. everybody just gets it. So you might actually, even if you lose it, you might actually. Ex- except for that review, it took like That's one true. minute. Well, <laughs> they, like, that was just, right. that was shorter than a timeout. They looked at it and they go. But at that point, you're grasping for straws because yeah. you're just getting, you're, the thing that's worked repeatedly against this team for Ohio State was not working, and, and you yeah. had to you had to switch them over. My, my, it has benefited Michigan, but you still shouldn't be able to challenge offsides. Yeah. If they miss an offsides, I don't care. Well, that's, that's, Cause, a, cause that's then the a, game, that's then the game continues, and the players had nothing to do with it, right? Like, they yeah. think if, if, if they figure you're going to call me if I'm offsides, and if yeah. I'm not, I'm going to continue playing. And how long could you be in the offensive zone? And, and like, and, the amount of advantage you get from accidentally being offsides is nothing. Yeah. It should it should just not be a reviewable play. So, yeah, that that's that's a different argument. But so now they get Minnesota. 
Did you watch any of the Minnesota-Michigan State game? I did. It looked like a Minnesota-Michigan State game. Yeah, it did. It had a little bit of false hope in the first yeah. few minutes yeah. when uh, Michigan State goes up. But, um, you know, Minnesota's just, they're really good. But, you know, Michigan went to Minneapolis earlier this year, and they were leading with five minutes to go in both games. Both times they give up a goal. One time they score in overtime, the other time they don't. Um, but I don't feel badly about this game. I don't know that Michigan's going to win it. No. But they could. They did last year. Mm-hmm. They did in 2016. And this team has shown they can skate when, when fully healthy, can skate and play with Minnesota. I think Portillo the last few games has been better than he was previously. He looked, I thought, pretty good last night. I couldn't find much to pin on him last night. The goal that they that, that they waved off was a, little, was a little weak. He didn't cover his corner. Yeah. You're, you're right. That was also a three-on-two. It was an odd man rush, and they got a good shot, so maybe he didn't get the rebound that he wanted and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That there, was, and there was one other he was flailing about, and he got lucky that the rough lost sight of the puck because he kind of lost. Correct. He yeah. there, there are places, but he's not getting lost as much as he was. Mm-hmm. He's not, like, doing pirouettes and falling over. His was, stick there, isn't... There was one incident. His stick isn't ending up outside the blue line like it has a few times. He's not dropping pucks with his glove anymore. I don't know what's happened. I don't I don't have any connection to any of this. But what you've seen the last few games has been, you know, I said last night, you know, if this is the Portillo they get going forward, they got a shot. It, it, it's how good is the defense going to play around him? Because that's the thing Minnesota does, coming back to Minnesota, is I don't think that close is really that good. The He's fine. The reality is, is their defense is really good. Their structure is really good, and their players, three or four of them, are going to the NHL. And so they play a really structured defense that Michigan at times has had trouble breaking down because everyone in college hockey has. And Nyes came back at the beginning of the summer and said, I'm coming back to Minnesota to win a national championship. They get Snuggeru, they get Cooley. You got a really good top line. You got that defense that's absolutely stacked. Close needs to hold up his end. But other than that, like... This is a team that's built to win it, and Michigan has played, when they've had their team, has played them really tough two times, gotten a win in overtime and lost in overtime. All right, so it looks like Michigan is locked into a one seed now. Is it, like, that far? The, the gap is pretty big. Um, Between them and BU. And all they could do right now is lose to Minnesota, which is, you know... Not going to be that damaging. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, especially at Minnesota. Right. So I wonder... Because this is going to pose a problem for the selection committee. Oh, Allentown or Manchester? Because what they do is the first thing they do is they slot the one host. through four. Oh. Okay, they slot the host in first, right, and they sure. slot one through four into their nearest regionals. Right. So that means Michigan will go after Minnesota, after Quinnipiac, and who's well, three? Well, Minnesota is going to go to Fargo, I think. Yes. And Quinnipiac is going to go to Bridgeport. Right. There's almost no way that isn't happening. So then you have Denver, and you have right. Michigan, and you have Allentown, Pennsylvania, and you have Manchester, New Hampshire. So <laughs> Allentown is closer, but a flight's a flight. That is what I was always told for years regarding the committee. I mean, going back 10, 15 years, when you used to study this at the end of the year, is that if you get on a plane, you get on a plane. Now, both these teams are getting on planes. Michigan's not busing to Allentown, let's be real. No, yeah, so I think they're not going to... So the problem is that Penn State is locked into Allentown because they're hosting. Correct. Mm-hmm. And they are, which is a dream two seed in my opinion. But the two seed, but they're going to be eight probably. Okay. And so they get they, the number one. They should get Minnesota. Yeah. But they can't. but they can't. Right. So Michigan has a shot 
of getting in a regional in Allentown, Pennsylvania with uh, Penn State. So two. Alex sent me his take on the updated bracket, and he sent it to me saying his thought is Michigan is going to Manchester, getting Minnesota State as the four, BU as the two, and Cornell as the three. I mean, I don't know if he is Nostradamus, Drain Stradamus, but he's he seems pretty confident of that. I could see Michigan going to Allentown because they, they, at this point closer. the committee could just be like playing out scenarios like, okay, put Michigan and Manchester unless they beat Minnesota in that case, give them their Allentown. Right? I mean, maybe, but they still probably don't pass Denver, so they're still in the same spot. Yeah. I don't think I don't think Michigan winning or losing is gonna affect which seeding or which site they so, go to. Yeah, the Call Jack News has a pairwise probability matrix up. Yeah. One through four are locked in. So nobody in one through four can move. Okay. So Michigan's going to be a one seed, but will it be in Allentown or will it be in Manchester? And that's, you know, it just depends on, like you said, are they going to are they going to fudge around with putting, you know, two Big Ten teams in Allentown? Are they going to put the four and the eight there and give Michigan the break? Now, is there a big difference between four and three getting the eight seed? Like, I don't know. They're not, but, yeah, but these are not automatons working off computers. These are people who are looking at the tournament and saying, what's fair? Oh, also, Penn State is... More likely to be number seven than number eight. So the hmm. thing that that gets interesting is when you start looking at the four seeds, right? Because Atlanta Cocky is going to get the 16, and then you're going to have Alaska, who is maybe in the tournament, Merrimack, who is maybe in the tournament, and then Minnesota State. And, you know, anything can happen in these stupid tournament games because of all the randomness of the one game yeah, playoff and all that. We're talking about like but, 50% but instead of 65%. But who do you want to face between Alaska or Merrimack and Minnesota State? Okay, so RIT will be matched up with Minnesota. Yes. And mm-hmm. then the question for the committee is, are they going to send Alaska or Minnesota State? I mean, I guess this is a flight for everybody, so it doesn't matter. And Alaska is going to be on a long flight. Right. They're used to that at this point. Well, because, well, our, well I mean, so... If RIT is the Atlantic hockey champ, yeah, do you think they would flip that? No, because the one advantage you get as the one overall is you play the worst team. Yeah, in the but they've they've done that before. Like they could give. They shouldn't. They, I mean, if they have, okay, they could but, give, they, but they should. They could give Alaska the 16th. Fargo. Yeah, Fargo. Well, there's. I mean, there's also an argument that maybe Alaska is worse than RIT. So, I mean, or whoever the Atlantic hockey. I mean, Atlanta. It, it, Alaska is really not good at all. Right. So. That might be a reason that the committee would do that. So then... Maybe, but, I mean, the argument is you want Michigan to play Alaska. <laughs> well, I don't think that's going to happen because Minnesota... I mean, so the... They're probably going to get Minnesota State. You're right. Right. Which is unfortunate. It, well, because it's... And it's because it's, it's, it's Allentown. If this was Toledo, it would be a different story. Well, you don't... I mean, Minnesota the Midwest State... does not exist into the... To the Minnesota State is, is a legitimate program that is that struggled in the first part of the year, has gotten hot, and has been really good for a little while. Like, they're not a nothing program. They're, they're a legit threat for an upset. And mm-hmm. that's kind of what you want to avoid. That's why last year it was really big for Michigan to get the one overall because they got American International. And that was an overwhelming matchup for... AIC. Yeah. And looks, I don't know that Minnesota State is going to be just like American. It looks like the other half of the bracket is going to be BU versus Western. Western. <laughs> just like. So. That's tough. We yeah. played both those well, teams. Those are we, good teams. Right. We did beat one of them 9-2, to two, but that was a weird night. Well, well they and, and they, beat, they, they, yeah. beat, they beat 
West. They beat Western twice. They beat them pretty solidly at Yost, and then they went to Lawson and played them in Kalamazoo, and they, you know, kept, had like I think three two goal leads in that game and kept blowing them. And Western kept getting back into it, and they'd get up to two goal lead, and then they blew it, and then they won in overtime. So. I mean, Western doesn't scare me from a, like, oh, no, this is the Western Michigan from last year. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's If they're not program. in our bracket, do you think they're going to say we ducked them? <laughs> I would put nothing past them at this point. <laughs> but, so, I mean, the tourney prognosis for Michigan isn't good. It's like, these, um, these are some tough teams. It's not like, it's not, it's not the regional they had last year. No. No. But, but they're know, not the number one overall seed. And you're not the number two overall seed, and yeah. you're not the number three. I mean, you are in going to have, you should, in theory, have the toughest bracket as the number four. Yeah. It's single elimination hockey, it doesn't matter. It should be a Yoast. That's what it should be. Yeah. We're uh, just, just another summer <laughs> podcast discussion, Brian. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the MGO Podcast. I'm Seth Fisher, along with Brian Cook and David Nasternak. We are DTE Energy customers. We are Big Ten Plus subscribers, and we're Lions fans. You can't do anything to us. I'm not a Lions fan. <laughs> <laughs> do you want me to redo that? No, that's fine. I can say I'm not a Lions fan. <laughs>